And welcome to Snescapades, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo Library, four games at a time. We play them briefly, judge them harshly, and rank them, and that is pretty much all you need to know. I am Steampunk Link. And I'm Emmy Zero. And actually, what I just said is a lie. There is something else you guys need to know, because we left things on a bit of a cliffhanger last time, didn't we? We did. It was the only thing we could do. There was just too much. Too much emotion. Too many things still in the air. Uh, We had not managed to decide whether or not Final Fantasy II or Super Mario World deserved to be at the very top of our list. We just couldn't do it. So we decided we needed to cut the episode off leave it as a cliffhanger, and then sort things out amongst ourselves afterwards. And uh, man, I I gotta tell you, it was rough. It was a harrowing experience. It was emotional. You know, I don't know if I'm ever going to be the same, frankly. We discussed a lot of things. There was a bit of arguing, a bit of yelling. Um, There was a lot of crying, mostly from me. You threw a fireball at one point, like out of your hands. Yeah, I didn't know I could do that. And I don't know if I can do it again, but... That situation caused me to manifest the flames in the palms of my hands. You straight up hadokened, and honestly, like, if you could figure out how you did that and harness that, I feel like you'd be a pretty powerful person at that point. Yeah, probably. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to be paying off that street lamp that I just sort of, you know, crashed to the ground with, with Fireball. Uh, the city is making me pay that off. Uh, I'm not going to be out of, the, out of the hole on that one for a while. Oh, yeah. So, you know, you know, it is what it is, though. But in any case, after all of the hemming and hawing and and wailing and gnashing of teeth, we finally realized we were forgetting something. There was one element to one of the games that was really going to sort this out for us. And that element is Final Fantasy II's Edward. That guy sucks. Yeah, he's the worst. I hate that guy. So there was no way the game could go at the top of our list once we remembered that. Yeah, worst Final Fantasy character ever. Forget your Titus with his silly laugh. Edward alone kept this game from the top spot. So congratulations, Edward. You are the reason Final Fantasy 2 is not number one. It's it's only number two. But you know, number two is still really, really good. Yeah, it's almost number one. Yeah, it's like one number away. That's how close it is. So congratulations, Final Fantasy 2. You are now the number two game on our definitive ranking of Super Nintendo games. So we now have 21 games on this list. Yes, we do. I think I'm going to read through them all after all that one more time, just so people know where we're at. This is probably the last time I'm going to read through the whole list over the podcast, because it's just going to get way too long after this. But So at number one, we've got Super Mario World, Final Fantasy II at number two, followed by ActRaiser, UN Squadron, Darius Twin, F-Zero, SimCity, Gradius 3, Super R-Type, Draken at number 10, Populous, Final Fight, Pilot Wings, John Madden Football, Hal's Hole-in-1, Hyperzone, Paperboy 2, Super Bases Loaded, The Chess Master, Bill Lane Beer's Combat Basketball at number 20, and at the very bottom is Ultraman Towards the Future. So that's where we stand. We're going to be spending a little bit more time near the bottom of this list today than uh, than at the top, unfortunately. Yeah. So you know how last time we made this super involved, super long episode where we just 
couldn't think of enough good things to say about most of the games on there. And it, it really kind of tore us up trying to figure out where they would go on our list as the list sort of massively reshuffled the top ranks. This is sort of a different situation this time. We are still in November of 1991. Uh, these are the last games for November. And, ooh boy, uh, I don't think they saved the best for last. Yeah, so whereas last week we actually put two new games into the top three, bypassing a game that we thought was going to be at number two for a very long time and uh, very much wasn't, got got dethroned by two others. Yeah, that, that's that's not happening today. So I guess uh, I guess we'll just get on with it. Yeah, so what have we what have we got to start with today? It is Super Ghouls and Ghosts, and I'm just going to say right now, I hate this game. I hate this game so much. It's not the worst game we have played, but I hate it more than any other game we've played. And here's the reason why. It's because I know the feeling is mutual. (laughs) This game hates me. This game hates you, the listener. This game hates everybody. It is an incredibly unfriendly game. This is a deeply hostile game. This is part of a very classic Capcom series. Really kind of one of their first big hit series was Ghosts and Goblins. And this is effectively Ghosts and Goblins 2, I guess you'd say. It's a game that I do have some respect for. I do think that there is some good stuff you can say about this game in terms of the art design, the music, uh, some of the the craft that even went into the design of the game itself is kind of admirable, but man, is it just an absolute slog to play. Like, I do not like playing this game in any way, shape, or form. And I always think I'm going to like it a little bit more than I do. I always think, like, oh yeah, you know, this game, it's incredibly challenging, it's really unforgiving, it is relentless. But, you know, maybe this time I can really drill down into the design and really appreciate the game on its own terms and i've played this game many times over the years and that has never happened so this is a an action platformer you can almost think of it as a running gun because all of your attacks are projectiles in which you are playing as a knight who is fighting off a bunch of monsters mostly zombies trying to save the princess only you know what surprisingly enough i think this is only the second game in which you're saving a princess so far yeah actually that's true that's interesting isn't yeah it? yeah I'd have thought there'd actually be more than that by now, but that's that's a pleasant surprise. So this game is really, really difficult, and it comes from a line of very difficult games. And the thing about the original game, Ghosts and Goblins, is that it started out on arcades, and so did its sequel. They were arcade games. They were meant to gobble up your quarters. When the NES version of Ghosts and Goblins happened, it still kept that really punishing difficulty. But again, like I could maybe excuse that as being just a sort of growing pain. People hadn't really started nailing the philosophy of the differences between what makes an arcade game good and what makes a console game good. It's a little bit forgivable. It's not a game I would ever want to go back to. With Super Ghouls and Ghosts, though, 
it feels like it's still that same philosophy of just being punishing to gobble up quarters, except that this game was made for the Super Nintendo. And we're already seeing a lot of developers move away from that and be more friendly on the console. I think that part of it is that they had an idea that this is just what this series was. Well, okay, we're making a Ghosts and Goblins game. This is what those are. Like, there was no way to sort of move the design away from this particularly. That was probably part of the thinking. But that doesn't mean the game is any more fun to play because of it. It just means that Capcom, which had years of experience making games that were really fundamentally not like this, did not bring any of that to this game. And it makes something that I get what it is. I just don't want to play it ever, really. You mentioned that this game is made for the Super Nintendo. And given that that is the case... I don't get why this game runs as badly as it does. Yes, it can slow down a lot. It's in a state of almost constant slowdown, I think. And that's partially, I think, just to do that like with like the fact that the screen is constantly flooded with enemies. You're trying to get through these stages that have some fairly unforgiving platforming challenges, and there's just this, this endless brawl of enemies constantly appearing on the screen. There's never a point at which you feel like you you have a handle necessarily on what's going on with the like kind of legions of zombies and and everything that's coming at you and the fact that the game is so mired in slowdown i think genuinely makes this game much harder to play than it should be one of the things that's so frustrating to me about it is like okay so arthur the character you play as has a double jump you can jump and then you can jump again in midair and you can't change like the the angle of his jump once you jump you're committed so you would think that this is like a thing where there's really precise platforming like if you know your marks you can always make it through this but i felt like constantly every time i tried to play this the game was just inconsistent enough that i would miss jumps or i would jump right into the path of an enemy or a projectile that I felt like I should have been able to miss just because I couldn't quite judge what the game was doing at any point. I mean, we've played some platformers in which the characters' movements are a little bit clunky, like take Actraiser, for example, or, you know, we'll be talking about Castlevania 4 not too long from now. But the game's levels always feel like they're designed around that. Like the fact that you're locked into jumps, for example, isn't too much of a problem because the platforming is designed for that and because everything is static. You can learn from your mistakes, you can do something different the next time, and you can make progress. With this game, because the enemies just spawn randomly from the ground below you, it's a lot more difficult to do that, if not impossible to do that. And it also just feels like the game wasn't built around Arthur's movements. In fact, the double jump almost feels like something that they added because they were like, oh, wait, you can't actually play this game the way we've built it. So here, we'll give people a double jump. You know, like it almost feels like a concession in a way. I mean, on the one hand, I do want to give the game the benefit of the doubt that the folks who designed this game knew what they were doing and they did this stuff intentionally. But there are just enough times where it doesn't feel like that, that I... I just throw up my hands in frustration. You know, I don't mind hard games necessarily, even though realistically there's a lot of games that I just can't make progress in because they're 
pretty difficult. But with this one, I don't feel like it's worth my time to try to meet the game on its level. And there's the fact that weapons are random and inconsistent and you don't get to stock weapons away for a rainy day. Whatever weapon you find on the ground, that's your weapon now. And if you pick it up, there's no way to undo that if you find you don't like the weapon. I mean, just about the only concession it makes is that you don't lose your weapon when you die. So if you do manage to get a decent enough weapon, like the torch, for example, you know, you'll, you will at least get to keep that until you accidentally pick up a worse weapon, which you definitely will do at some point. Uh, I, I don't like this game. I don't think it's fun. I have been trying to play it off and on ever since I was a child and I've never gotten past the first stage in it. It's really hard for me to say anything good about it beyond, hey, it's got some nice sprites and some kind of decent sounding music. Here's what I will say about this game, you know? Given that I do kind of like the art, and, you know, it is always impressive to see somebody really master a game that is this this brutally difficult... There's there's no way I would recommend people play this game, but you should actually absolutely watch like a speed run of this game. Yeah, sure. There are people out there for whom this is a game that will do a lot for them, but I I unless you absolutely know you're one of those people, I can't in any way recommend somebody actually try to play this game. And also, you know, it annoys me a little bit that this got one of the spots on the SNES Classic that could have been used for something else. That honestly is pretty annoying. This may be the first game in which we're going to have like a significant number of people strongly disagreeing with us. This game has fans. I understand that. But I'm definitely not one of them and neither are you. So we got to be honest with ourselves when we make this list. There's a part of me that would just straight up put this on the bottom because I at least think that Ultraman was probably done by a smaller team on a tighter deadline. I can't in good conscience do that because I I know this game is, is a much better made game than that. It is absolutely a better made game than that. And it does have some legitimate strengths, which Ultraman doesn't really have those. And is also not a fun game to play. I'm looking at the list now. I'm trying to think of what the ceiling for this game actually is. It's not that much higher than Ultraman. I would not put this any higher than Hyperzone. I honestly, I don't know if this goes above Paperboy 2. We had more fun playing Paperboy 2 for longer. Paperboy 2's got a lot more charm to it, I think, than this game does. Paperboy 2 is also a lot more functional than this game in just basic ways that make it more fun to play. I would never say that, like, I like the look of Paperboy 2 as much as I like the look of Super Ghouls and Ghosts. I had more fun playing it, and I think it was uh, at least iterating on the Paperboy formula in ways that I found a little bit more fun than whatever Super Ghouls and Ghosts is, is trying to do with with sort of upping the game from from the original. So then we've got Super Bases Loaded at number 18 right now. What do you think about that matchup, this versus Super Bases Loaded? On the one hand, I think that it does go back to the fact that I do think that Super Ghouls and Ghosts is, is pretty much what it intends to be. Like, I think it's pretty functional for being that. And there were definitely some issues with Super Bases Loaded where, like, there were just things in it that I, I don't think really worked quite right. I still think I might have had more fun with Super Bases Loaded, but I'm okay with Super Ghouls and Ghosts going above it, if you think. I, I mean, I'll entertain that, because I agree. I think I did have more fun with Super Bases Loaded. What do you think about the Chess Master as a matchup? Because the Chess Master 
is in a weird position where it's essentially in the place that it is on the strength of the fact that it's a pretty functional chess game, but it's so basic in every other way that it can't really go higher than where it is. I know people are going to, you know, disagree with me probably pretty strongly, but I do feel like even if this is what they intended, Super Ghouls and Ghosts is a poorly designed game. I just can't get over the fact that Arthur just does not feel like the character that they made was built for what this game throws at you, you know? I'm willing to to go along with that. I don't feel comfortable putting this below Bill Lambier's Combat Basketball, which I think is genuinely just a really poor game and one that I also think has real design problems. So I would say I'd be comfortable putting this game between the Chess Master and Bill Lambier. I am fine with that. I think that putting this behind the chess game will be controversial enough that we'll kind of get everybody (laughs) riled up. I don't need to argue for this going any lower than that. I guess, hey, Super Ghouls and Ghosts, top 20 game. Yeah, still top 20 game for now. Yeah, what have we got? What have we got next? Next up, we've got... RPM Racing, or Radical Psycho Machine Racing. Yeah, um, we sure do. Hey, right out of the gate, problematic title. (laughs) Just a little bit, yeah. So this is a game by Silicon and Synapse, which uh, you may know under the name it took on later, uh, Blizzard Entertainment. Yeah, yeah, a few people have heard of them, I think. You might have heard of them at some point. So this is a very auspicious developer. This is their first game for the Super Nintendo. It won't be their last one, and this is not a good start for them on the system here. No, this is uh, some really humble beginnings. And I mean, it really was the beginning, because this company had only been established in February of 1991, so they'd only been around for a couple months. This game does do some cool things technically. It's the only Super Nintendo game that is completely in double resolution mode. Most Super Nintendo games run at 256 by 224. This one runs at 512 by 448, which is impressive when you hear it, but to look at it, it's just not much to that. For one thing, like it really limits the amount of colors that you can use on the screen at one time. You're cut down from having 256 colors available to you at once to 16. Yeah, that's a big problem with this game. And there's kind of an interesting history to this game. This is actually kind of like a remake of a Commodore 64 game called Racing Destruction Set. So that was developed by EA in 1985. And RPM Racing was created by Rebecca Heinemann. Who's a a legendary programmer. Like, she's a really interesting person who has fingerprints on a lot of of really noteworthy games from from this time period. But um, I've got to say, I hate this game. Like, I think the reaction that you had to Super Ghouls and Ghosts, which is also a game I don't like, but that I have a kind of milder reaction to that's sort of the reaction i had to this it made me angry to play this game yeah this game is very very bad like i said as much as i hate super ghouls and ghosts 
I acknowledge it's not the worst game that we've played. And yeah, th- this one, it, it's difficult to control. The The cars are hard to read in relation to the track. Yeah, this is an isometric racing game. Yeah, that, that's important to, to point out there. So at certain angles, it's hard to tell if I'm driving straight parallel with the road or if I'm just slightly askew and veering off to the side. It, your cars have damage meters where if you completely deplenish your meter, your car explodes. Your car just respawns, but it costs you a lot of time. And yeah, I've I've never once been able to recover from that happening. I don't understand why that's a mechanic in this. Like, it adds nothing. And your car starts out with such a small amount of energy in the first place that you're definitely going to explode. Like, probably by the end of the first lap, you will have exploded at least once. So I actually got to a point where my car exploded, and then I was right at the base of a ramp. And I literally could not get my car over the ramp. Like, I got almost up, and then it just slid back down. I had to back around a corner just to get enough speed. God, that sucks. And then the worst thing about this is that the game makes you pay to race on any other track besides the first one. And you have to place a a certain, I don't know if you have to win or if if getting like third or second place is enough, but you have to earn money to advance, which means you're going to end up on the same course racing over and over again if you actually want to get anywhere. It's tedious. It's a mess. It's ugly. It's hard to play. It's miserable. It has a track editor. It has a track editor. I didn't mess with that. I don't think you did either. Nope. You know, and like, honestly, the reason why I didn't mess with it is because I had such a bad time actually playing the game that I didn't care whether or not you could have fun making a track in this game. Once you make it, the experience of playing on that track is going to be just as miserable as playing on the, the the courses that they designed for you. Here's another thing. I'm sorry. I There's so much that bothers me about this game. This is a racing game that doesn't actually tell you what position you're in. You have to read a tiny mini-map with dots that represent the different cars on the track to to figure out whether you're in second or fourth place. I mean, I knew I was in fourth place because I was always exploding and all the other cars were lapping me, but... I just, why would you design something like this? And the act of racing is also not fun. The cars are really jerky. There's no sense of speed. There's no fun really to be had with navigating the courses because your car just feels so sluggish and it's just hard to control. There's weapons. You have mines that you can lay down. That's also not fun. There's no indicator of how many of those you have. <laughs> I was trying to figure out what all the buttons did after that time I exploded. The first time that all happened, I realized, oh, I just laid down a landmine and then my car slid back down the hill and then i exploded on my own landmine that was kind of funny (laughs) that is pretty funny that's pretty good actually that's a good metaphor for this game as a whole frankly i played this game with the sound off at first and i figured maybe if there was like good music or like really good car sounds it might make the game better so after i was already done playing it and i'd been just like infuriated by it. I went back and played it again with the sound on that actually made it worse because the sound in this game is, is atrocious. I I have nothing good to say about this game. Honestly, I do think this is the worst game that we've ever played for the show so far. I think the only question is, given its technical merits, that they did kind of pull off something somewhat technically impressive, even if you wouldn't know it just to look at the thing. Does that alone elevate it above Ultraman? Because that's as high as I'm willing to elevate this game at all. Honestly, I would say no, because the end result is so poor. It's clearly a much more ambitious game than Ultraman in some ways. 
but it's also just an absolute failure on in terms of gameplay art design everything say what you will about ultraman at least the stuff in it looks like ultraman if you feel that strongly about it i think i'm okay putting this below ultraman so that's going to make this the number 23 game uh top 25 game RPM racing. And this is uh this is going to be the first game that did not have some time in the top 20, right? Uh yeah, I think it might be. Things are going to get a little better here. Yeah, let's get away from cars and let's get out in the sun. Let's play some sports. Yep, we're going to play a couple of them today. The first one is Super Tennis, which was published by Nintendo. We actually haven't seen a lot of published titles by them outside of that first uh, month or so. Yeah, this was published by Nintendo, developed by Tosei and Tokyo Shoseki, which is a subsidiary of Tonkin House, which I so I believe from my research here, Tokyo Shoseki was or possibly still is a textbook publisher that dabbles in software, particularly educational software. I wouldn't necessarily call this quite in that same vein but hey you know it's it's good to try new things you know it makes sense that they would just hire tose to make a game like this honestly because tose is an incredibly prolific shadow developer they've developed loads and loads of stuff that like their name is not on and they have a baseline level of capability that you know sometimes they make really great stuff sometimes they make stuff that's just kind of there but is functional there's not a ton of stuff that's got their name on it but if you've played games from japan really in any quantity you've probably played some tosei games yeah and tosei's name is not on this either i think it just has tokyo shoseki and nintendo on the title screen there but in any case this game is fine it's a tennis game i think that this is perfectly fine for what it is i did find it a little bit difficult sometimes to judge if my little character was close enough to the ball that a swing would actually connect i did have some difficulty with that too this is a very arcadey tennis game the four face buttons do different kinds of swings and you kind of want to use those depending on where you are in the court and where your opponent is there's a bunch of different characters you can play as there's you know an equal number i think of of men and women tennis players that you can play as in this game and a few different types of court you can play on i had some real trouble telling the sprites apart for some of the characters a lot of them looked really similar to me they're all kind of slightly indistinct chibi characters i managed to play as a guy who had a sweet mullet so i was i, was, I had a little bit of an easier time that's some good uh that's some good early 90s tennis styling on there uh, i'm wanting to say i think that maybe some of these players are supposed to be references to actual tennis players of the day that's probably like i didn't do any research to confirm that <laughs> I, I do think that the like character portraits that you get when you select your character are pretty funny they're all a little bit grotesque i think in a way that i'm not sure was was intended but uh that i do think is is kind of fun this game's all right i don't think it's anything super special it does remind me quite a bit of early mario tennis game just without as much personality and you know i do think it's a bummer a thing that i didn't know that you later told me about because you had like read the manual for this game is that apparently playing as a woman in this game lowers the difficulty level somewhat like that's kind of the game's easy mode yeah when you're playing in the circuit mode if you play as a woman the difficulty is reduced from where it is if you're playing as a male character which yeah it's like y'all don't do that that sucks like that feels real shitty 
Like, please don't do that. There's a couple of sports games that do that, and yeah, it's a real bummer every time. That definitely is disappointing. I also don't think the AI in this game is particularly good. It's not really that fun to play against the computer, whether you're doing, like, a single match or you're playing in the circuit, which is basically the circuit is this game's campaign mode. You can enroll in various tournaments around the world. It'll show, like, a tournament bracket, and it'll kind of just sim out the other matches, and then you'll play in whichever one your character is in. Play on different kinds of court, presumably different sort of difficulty levels against other players. I never really found that much difference between the different computer opponents. Uh, They were all just kind of not great at the game, uh, but good enough that they were able to beat me, who was very bad at the game. (laughs) I think this would be more fun playing against another human. There are two-player modes. You can play against another player in the singles mode. You can play against another player, and each of you can have AI-controlled partners, or you can play two-player co-op in doubles. That makes it a real bummer that there wasn't two-player option in Circuit, where like a second player can also be involved in the tournaments. Yeah, that would be cool. That would have been that would have been a lot more fun, honestly. I love the sound effects of the the ball hitting the court. It sounds great. Those sound great there's a little bit of digitized audio it does make some kind of i think slightly questionable use of mode 7 here i think they're actually using it to give the court a little bit of a perspective and it it looks really shimmery a lot of the time uh which isn't great i think at the end of the day like this game is fine and when i think of games that are fine i think of paperboy 2 which is a game that we said we'd put that on the back of the box it's fine um Here's my thinking, honestly. I don't think this goes above Hyperzone, but I also don't think this goes below Super Bases Loaded. I think this is a better representation of tennis than that game was of baseball. I really think the question is, does this go above or below Paperboy 2? So I would say I think this probably goes above Paperboy 2, just because I do think it's a little bit more ambitious. And I do think that there's enough stuff going on here that there, there may actually be more to recommend this game than we're quite giving it credit for just because we we didn't have the kind of wherewithal to like invest deeply enough in it to to see all of that whereas i think with paperboy 2 we pretty much took its temperature uh pretty effectively i think that's a good point one rebuttal though paperboy 2 does not get easier when you play as a paper girl that's a good point. Sexism codified into game design is is not really a great look. So, I mean, like, I'd be okay with putting this below Paperboy 2, but do, do you think that it's a good enough game on its own that it kind of recovers from that little casual misogyny enough? I don't know. I mean, I, I mean that does bother me. I don't want to give the impression that, like, I'm giving it a pass on that. Let me say this. I think we're in the right range for it here. I think the... These sort of block of games that includes Household in One, Hyperzone, Paperboy 2, and Super Bases Loaded. This is definitely where this game belongs somewhere in here. So I'm not super fussed about where it goes in there. So I would be I would be alright with putting this below Paperboy 2. I really would. So this is now our number 18. One more game. Yep, we got one more game. One more sports game. Last game up for today is True Golf Classics YLI Country Club. Going to Hawaii, playing some golf. Yeah, we are. Here we are. 
This was published and developed by T&E Soft, makers of such games as the Highlight series and a whole bunch of golf games <laughs> and Virtual Boy's Red Alarm. Frankly, Red Alarm and this and like some of the Highlight games, I feel like do fit into a, a pattern with this developer from my kind of limited experience with them of like trying to push a technical envelope and maybe pushing it in sort of the wrong direction. I find this game kind of frustrating, frankly. This is a golf sim, and it is, uh, in uh, many ways, much more elaborate than the other golf game we have on this list right now, House Hole in One, in terms of its presentation and the degree of kind of control it gives you over all aspects of the experience of playing a round of golf. And I'm not sure it's better for that. So a little bit of history on this one. This is actually the fourth game in the True Golf Classic series. This is the first one released outside of Japan. This game was also released for the PC-98 series of personal computers in Japan. And that kind of comes through in this game, kind of in the way that it did in RPM. But although, you know, that this game is way better than that. When you adjust the camera, for example, it takes a beat before the camera actually moves and redraws the screen. And it gives it a very kind of choppy feeling. And it does feel like a PC game of this era, maybe even a little bit earlier than that. The, the experience of playing it almost feels like you're playing like Mist, like if Mist was a sports yeah, game. Yeah, yes. The way the camera moves, yeah. It's actually very impressive. This game... I don't know if it has the golf course like fully modeled in 3D, but it is basically capable of drawing your perspective on the golf course from a bunch of different angles and following the ball. But it does it very slowly. It does it very choppily. And the image is sometimes so so grainy and juddery that I had legit trouble, even though this game gives you loads of details about like kind of, you know, the wind speed, the elevation and, uh, you know, all of this stuff. It, sometimes it was very hard for me to actually tell how far I really needed to hit the ball to do what I wanted to do with it. I definitely found the greens a lot harder to read in this game than I did in House Hole in One. And it wasn't until I realized that like I could use the up and down on the D-pad to get a better view of the course. Once I realized I could do that, I had a better time with it, but I found just like the default perspective a lot harder to really get a good feel of the the layout of the fairway and everything. Um, I will say, so I did do a little bit of research into the YLI Country Club and uh, according to a PDF that I found uh, from, I think, the last, what is it, the, the Sony Classic, that, that's the golf tournament they have there every year. The holes that I looked at very much match the uh, the course layout in on the map. So That's legitimately very cool. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you, you know, like, hey, are all these trees placed in the right place? And for all I know, that sure, may have yeah. changed, too, since this game was created. Yeah, right, right, that's true. There are actually some things I really like about this game. Like, I love that you get to select your caddy at the beginning. Yeah, that's a cool touch. And it's, like, several different options, and it's, like, digitized graphics of of these, these very friendly-looking caddies. I do think this game is really good at sort of laying out all the information it gives you. You, you have what's, like, kind of a pretty common, uh, like, power meter for your swing, but you also get to kind of uh, select where you're hitting the ball, like, what part of the ball you're hitting. The timing minigame for actually hitting the ball, I felt, was a lot better than what you typically get, which is just another meter that's going to kind of determine, you know, if you hook or slice or something like that. Like, actually getting to have some control over where your club is going to make contact with the ball, I think makes this much better than the average golf sim. I think sim. that's fair, but I think that on the whole, for me at least, 
the frustrations with I guess really just kind of the technical limits of this game on this of this version of this game really kind of dragged it down for me in some ways where like I just wished that those were not problems so I could enjoy the things I actually liked about this game like I think that you know a- after I finished playing this I loaded up Hal's Hole in One Golf to play some of that to just see how it was in comparison and even though that is in some ways a more simplistic golf sim I mean it's like a top down perspective it doesn't give you as much in the way of granular control over all these aspects of of the game I found that a more satisfying game to play just because there wasn't all this stuff that was in the way of me enjoying yeah yeah I, I think that's given fair. that one of their kind of things like one of their stocks in trade is this kind of golf sim there are probably other games later on in the Super Nintendo's library that you know, kind of speak to to some of these issues that this one had. There's going to be two more games in the True Golf Classic series on the Super Nintendo after this one. So I I think if I'm looking over at the list here, um, an obvious place to start is Howl's Hole-in-One. And I think what we're talking about here is, I I think that this is a much more technically deep game than Howl's Hole-in-One. But I think Howl's Hole-in-One is just kind of, for the lack of a better word, friendlier in a way. Like, I like the presentation of it a little bit more. It's, it's a much more watered-down experience, but I think that it also is maybe better for newbies. Like, in a way that, like, say, like, something like John Madden Football is is also, like, a very technical game, but it's not very newbie-friendly. I You know, I almost think that, like, this is kind of on par... <laughs> with that game. So I guess the question is, does this go above Hal's Hole in One for being a better game for people who are really into the sport of golf? Or does this go below it for maybe not reaching out to newbies and not just, you know, having like as good a presentation and in, in performance as Hal's Hole in One does? I think you could make a compelling argument in either direction. I think for me, I tend to favor Hal's Hole in One because I do think that just as an entire package, it it just sort of works better. Like, I don't think that, like, the negatives of that game get in the way of it the same way these ones do. But at the same time, it's not trying to do as much. But I guess, you know, to that extent, like, it was a game that was being built from the ground up for the Super Nintendo. So they knew the Super Nintendo's limitations at that time better, maybe, than T&E Soft and were able to make a more performant game because of that. Another argument that I could probably make for putting this one just below Howl's Hole-in-One is that I actually think in some interesting ways, Hyperzone is a decent companion game to this one uh, because both of them are kind of doing some really interesting technical stuff that that I, I, I think ultimately doesn't quite add up to the sum of its parts. Okay. Yeah, I I don't think this goes below Hyperzone. Though. Oh no, I certainly don't either. It's I, I think this okay. is a, I think there's a pretty actually a fairly big gulf in quality between this and Hyperzone, but I think that they do make kind of interesting points of comparison in in the in this case. I th- I think I'm all right with uh, putting True Golf Classics uh, YLI Country Club at number sixteen, right below Hal's Hole in One. I'm I'm cool with that. You know, I gotta say, this episode started off on a couple of real rough notes, but I think that, you know, it's kind of a surprise that these sports games, you know, were the better ones, but I'm glad that we got to end on the better games in this quartet. Yeah, I think it it says something when, you know, given what I've already said about golf games in the past, that I thought a golf game was the best of the the four this week. Yeah. (laughs) So there you go. Yeah, this this was a bit of a rough one this week, but that's all right. You know, like, they're they're not all going to be slam dunks. This is the karmic balance for us having a really 
a, a really banner week last time, I think. Yeah, yeah. Let's we'll go with that. All right. So, shall I uh tease the audience with uh what we're going to be talking about next time? Yeah, let's. Uh as we finally move out of November 1991 and into the coldest month, the bleakest month, December. Yeah, we'll be getting into December and we will be talking about Lagoon, Home Alone, D-Force, and finally Super Castlevania 4, which we we kind of touched on just a little bit today. All right, we've 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 alluded to that one a couple of times yeah. during the show so far. So Yeah, I'm glad we'll finally have that one on the list. <laughs> this is another interesting clutch of games and one that I think will have, you know, at at least at least a slightly higher overall level of quality than uh than than what we got this week. So that'll be good. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy for that. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's gonna do it for today so thank you all for listening and until next time i'm steampunk link i am any zero and uh play it loud Our intro-outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoax, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at technoax.com. For more of our content, check out honestpiranha.com. Thanks for listening. Play